Hello, good morning. My name's Thad Lanthrop. I'm the executive pastor here at Church in the Valley, and I'm glad that you all um, are joining us here this morning as we worship the Lord. Um, As we get started, I'd like to ask you a, a question. The question is, what spiritual questions do you have right now? What spiritual questions do you have right now? If you're not yet a a Christian, then there might be a lot of questions that you have about what it means to be a Christian. The whole idea of committing your life to Christ might just bring up a lot of questions for you. If you're already a Christian, then you've, you've answered the main questions about following Christ, but There might be things that you're wondering about or questions that might pop up from time to time. A few weeks ago, I was preparing a message on Sunday here. And as I was preparing for it, a question popped up for me. There was a story that Jesus was telling to his followers, and he was commending a dishonest manager for his shrewdness. He was praising somebody who was dishonest. And for me, it, it brought up a lot of questions because I knew that in other parts of the Bible, you're told to be honest. And so what was going on here? I, I had a lot of questions that popped up. How can this be that it says to be honest, but then in the story that Jesus is telling, he's commending a dishonest manager? Well, I had to dig in. To the Bible, I had to talk to some people, ask them some questions about it, and read some background material on it. And it turns out the master wasn't commending him for being dishonest. He was commending him for the thought that he put into being dishonest. He was commending him for the effort that he put to take care of himself. It, was, it wasn't that he was dishonest. I had to sort through my, my questions to figure out what the truth was in that passage in the Bible. Well, we're in the middle of a message series that we're calling Come and See. And in this series, we're looking at different encounters that Jesus had with people during his time here on earth. Today, we're going to look at an example of a man who sought to get his spiritual questions about Christianity answered. And looking at the story, it encourages us all to get our spiritual questions answered. This story, it's found in the book of John. The book of John is one of four biographies of of Jesus' life. And in chapter 3, we see this encounter that Jesus has with a religious rule follower named Nicodemus. A little background on Nicodemus is that Nicodemus, he ran with an elite group of people called the Pharisees, very legalistic group of Jewish men who saw themselves as more distinguished than just the common Jews. So let's dive into chapter 3 and see what, what's going on here. John 3, 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jew, Jewish ruling Council. Now, the ruling council was known as the Sanhedrin. This was a group of about 70 leaders who formed the governing council of, of Israel. For modern day comparison, think of it like somebody who is from the Supreme Court. He's going to have a meeting 
with Jesus. And the passage goes on. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. What is implied here is is Nicodemus saying, me and, and my religious friends, we've been watching you. And clearly you are from God, because there's no way that the things that you've been doing you could do if you were not from God. Now, Nicodemus, he doesn't really ask a question here, but he's telling Jesus he's been watching his ministry, and you get the sense he's curious about Jesus, where he's come from, who he is. Look how Jesus replies to this comment. In a reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born Again, put yourself in Nicodemus's shoes here. You've never heard anyone say anything like this before. It's a brand new concept to be born again. It's confusing. It's impossible. Nobody can be born a second time. So he asked the obvious follow-up question because he generally wants to know. He wants to get his questions answered. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. And he's saying, intellectually, this doesn't make sense, what you're saying. But Jesus isn't talking about physical rebirth here. He's talking about a spiritual rebirth. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. I'm sure Nicodemus, he's going, huh? This really isn't clearing things up for me. Jesus continues. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Saying, Roman people give birth to Roman people. Jewish people give birth to Jewish people. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. Saying, you can be born into the kingdom of Israel as a Jewish man from Jewish parents, But there's something more to enter into the kingdom of God. Only the Holy Spirit can affect spiritual transformation. Only the Spirit of God can bring bring about the spiritual rebirth required for entrance into God's kingdom. And Jesus goes on and he says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying, you don't see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. It can't be controlled, but we can observe it. Jesus says, so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is at work renewing hearts, transforming lives. We can't physically see that work, but it's real. And Nicodemus asks a a profound question. How can this be? That's how he replies. How can this be? He's wrestling. He's sorting with this new information that he's getting. His whole religious tradition was built on legalistic demands. 
things that he could see, he could act on. And if he did those and said the right things, then his relationship was okay with God. Jesus is challenging this notion here. He's challenging the notion that you can have a right relationship with God based on the works and what you do. Let's go back to that question that he asked. Have you ever asked that question? How can this be? Have you ever asked that question about God? For example, we, we come into contact with new information about God, about how to put the Bible into practice into our daily lives. As we read the Bible, we get new information all the time. And I know for me, I've asked the question a lot. How can this be? For example, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it talks about how we're supposed to put the goals and interests of others above our own. How can this be? How can I get taken care of if I'm going to put others first? I'm going to put the goals and interests of others ahead of me. How's this all going to work? How can this be? Do you have any how can this be questions rolling around in your head right now? Maybe it has to do with how the Bible says to relate with people or how to relate to the church or how to handle your decision making or your finances or it can go on and on and on. Do you have any how can it be questions right now? Look what Jesus goes on to say here after he asks, how can this be? You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. Nicodemus, he cannot make sense of what Jesus is saying here. And we get the impression that he does not become a follower of Christ in this in this conversation. But sometime later, it appears that he did. In fact, after Jesus was crucified, he, along with Nicodemus, along with a few others, helped to prepare Jesus for burial. We see that in John chapter 19, 38 and 39. So this conversation, it, it stuck with Nicodemus, and he kept sorting through his spiritual questions to get them answered. This is a great example of someone who sought to get his questions answered about Christianity. And he tried to sort them out. He's sorting through the reality of the Bible versus how he thinks life works based on his religious tradition. And we all do that. And we typically sort and verify reality through three different channels. The first is the intellectual channel. We want to think, you know, how does this fit together logically? How does this all come together? We want to verify reality intellectually. Another channel is pragmatically. Does this work? If I do what the Bible says in this situation, is it going to work out for me? Is it really going to bring the good in my life that it says it will? Does it work in changing me to be the person God wants me to be? And then emotionally, 
How do I feel about it? How does it feel when I am around Jesus and his people? How does that feel? Those are the three channels that we typically verify reality. Nicodemus here, he's asking a lot of intellectual questions. He's trying to figure out how being born again works intellectually. How how does this work? How does this make sense? And the evidence in the Bible, it suggests that it eventually made sense to him and he chose to follow Christ. I would, I would like to share with you a modern day example of a man who investigated Christianity. When I was in college, I heard this, this man's testimony at a church that I was attending and it was, it was captivating. His name is Lee Strobel and he was an atheist legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. Take a look at what happened when he pragmatically saw the changes in his wife when she became a Christian. For most of my life, I was an atheist. I thought the idea of an all-loving, all-powerful creator of the universe, I thought it was stupid. My background's in journalism and law. I tended to be a skeptical person. I was a legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. So I needed evidence before I believe anything. One day, my wife came up to me. She had been agnostic. And she said after a period of spiritual investigation, she decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I thought, you know, this is the worst possible news I could get. I thought she was going to turn into some sexually repressed prude who's going to spend all of her time serving the poor in Skid Row somewhere. I thought this was the end of our marriage. But in the ensuing months, I saw positive changes in her values, in her character, in the way she related to me and the children. It was winsome and it was attractive. And it made me want to check things out. So I went to church one day, uh, mainly to try to see if I could get her out of this cult that she's gotten involved in. But I heard the message of Jesus articulated for the first time in a way that I could understand it. That forgiveness is a free gift and that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that we might spend eternity with him. And I walked out saying, I was still an atheist, but also saying, if this is true, this has huge implications for my life. And so I used my journalism training and legal training to begin an investigation into whether there's any credibility to Christianity or to any other world faith system for that matter. I did that for a year and nine months until November the 8th of 1981. And on that day, I realized that in light of the torrent of evidence flowing in the direction of the truth of Christianity, it would require more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. Because to be an atheist, I would have to swim upstream against this torrent of evidence pointing toward the truth of Jesus Christ. And I couldn't do that. I was trained in journalism and law to respond to truth. And so on that day, I received Jesus Christ as my forgiver and as my leader. And just like with my wife, my life began to change over time. My values, my character, the purpose of my life began to be transformed over time in a way that, as I look back, I can't imagine staying on the path I was on compared to the adventure and the fulfillment and the joy of following Jesus Christ. We see Lee Strobel verifying reality through the three channels in this in this brief testimony that he gave. He saw pragmatically how this works. He saw the difference that following Christ made in his wife, her values, her character, the way she related to him and and the kids. It was better because of the relationship with Christ. 
And he got a glimpse of the gospel at, at a church service that he was trying to steer her away from. And he started to investigate Christianity. And he came to the point where intellectually it made sense. He said it was going to require more faith to not believe in Christ. And at the end of the clip, he got a little emotional. You saw the emotion wrapped into the decision that he made to follow Christ. We all have or have had questions about Christianity before. And it's, in, it's vital for us to get them answered. So what does this mean practically for us here today? If you're not yet a Christian, I, I want to encourage you to sort. Sort through your questions. It's interesting the different reactions that people have when they're sorting through new information. My two oldest sons, they've been playing basketball this summer for the first time. And there's a lot of sorting going on on the basketball courts. For most of them, it's their first time playing basketball. And so there's new information about rules coming at them. There's new information about just skills that they have to develop. And I've observed three different reactions on the basketball court that I think relate to us as we're sorting through our, our questions about Christianity. One is I have literally seen kids frozen on the court. Because they don't know where to go next. They're stuck. They've been told, this is your spot over here when we are on offense. And they're stuck there. The other team might have the ball and they're shooting baskets. And they're playing defense, but they're going to stay in their spot right here. And the other team's just scoring all these baskets. Because they don't know. They've had this new information and they're stuck. They're frozen. I've also seen the opposite end of the spectrum where kids, they're going to make something happen on the court. They get the ball and they just start running. No dribbling. Like the rules say, they are just running. And sometimes they're running towards the other team's baskets. But they're going to make something happen. For some people, when we get new information, we're running with it. We're going with it, even if it might be the wrong way. And then I've also seen... Kids just say, you know what, this is too much coming at me. I'm just going to ignore what everybody's saying, and I'm just going to do my thing. And they're just dribbling slowly down the court, and coaches yelling at them to pass. Nope, I'm just going to keep going down the court. Got the blinders on. I'm just going to keep going. It's easy for us to react this way with our questions about Christianity. Sometimes we get stuck with a question that we have and we don't know what to do next. We're just frozen. Or for others you might have a question but you're you're a go-getter. You're just going to you're just going to go for it. You're going to keep going. And it might be running in the wrong direction with the information that you have. Or for others you might just say, "You know what? I got too much going on. I'm just not going to listen to the outside perspective, the outside stuff that's coming in." I want to encourage you, don't react this way. React to your questions in a way that allows you to really investigate what it truly means to follow Christ. Because questions about God and Christianity, they're of the utmost importance because they have eternal implications. Check out this quote from author C.S. Lewis, who is an atheist turned believer in Christ. He said, Christianity, if false 
is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. We heard the same thing from Lee Strobel. He said something very similar to that. Thwarting, thwarting, sorting through your questions about God, the Bible, who Jesus is, how it works practically. It's the most important use of your time that, that you, can, you can spend it on. Now, let's fast forward a little bit in John chapter 3, what we've just been looking at. Let's fast forward a little bit to verse 16, where we get one of the clearest pictures of what it means to be born again into the kingdom of God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much that he sent his Son, Jesus, to earth. Jesus lived a perfect life, never sinned, never did things contrary to what God told him to do. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for your sins and for mine. That might bring up a lot of questions for you. Write them down. Start to search and get, get answers. Clarify what it means to be born again. Someone who's born again is somebody who believes that Jesus is God's son and that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross for their sins. God says that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The belief that's talked about here, it's not some passive belief. To truly believe in something, that means that you put your trust in it. You know, for me, I I could say, you know, I I believe that I could climb up this trust and it's going to hold my weight. I could say that. I could say I believe that. But if somebody told me to climb up it, I'm not going to. I really don't trust that that's going to hold me if I climb up it. And I I don't trust that I wouldn't break the TV. But if somebody told me, you know what, you can lean on this railing, I'd say, I believe that. But I also trust in leaning on this because it's sturdy. I can put my weight on it. I can lean into it. That's what belief in Christ is. It's not just, I'm a fan of God, I believe Jesus, I believe in him. It's not just being a fan of Jesus, it's leaning into him, putting your weight into trust in Jesus Christ. Another characteristic of someone who's born again is that they repent and turn away from doing life their own way, independent from God. Trusting in God means that you stop living your life your way. And you live life God's way. A theological word for that is repent. You turn from doing life independent from God and you turn towards him. You say, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do life your way. And then you confess Jesus as Lord or boss of your life. This means that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord or boss of your life and you pursue doing life his way. Going through this, it it might have brought up more questions for you about Christianity. That's really great. We're glad that you're here at Church in the Valley. And we want to help you to sort through the questions that you might have. Here's some tips for sorting through your questions about having a relationship with God. Sort through your questions about a relationship with God by 
First thing, just write them down. Write down the questions that you have. When I have questions about something really important, um, I, my thoughts in my head, they start swirling. And I, they just going, feel like they're going round and round and round. And it's, it's hard for me to get a handle of what I'm really even thinking. So when you have a question, write it down and just start making a list of questions that, that you have so that you can figure out a way to systematically go through them and get them answered. Another thing to sort through your questions, search for answers in the Bible. Start reading the Bible to get an understanding of what a relationship with God is. If you're wondering a place to start, start in the book of John that we, we've been um, reading in this morning. You'll get a good picture of Jesus' life and his ministry on earth. And then engage in dialogue with a Christian friend. Talk with somebody about your questions. And if you are that Christian friend, I want to encourage you in some ways. So Christian, dialogue with those sorting by seasoning your speech with salt. Colossians 4.6 gives instructions on how to speak to those who are not yet Christians. It says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. When something's seasoned with salt well, it it tastes good, and it leaves you wanting more. That's the idea behind this, what it's saying in seasoning your speech with salt. The verse is saying, season it with salt about Christ so that they want more. They want more information. So what does that look like practically in in day-to-day life? Well, let's look at it from the three channels that we've looked at earlier for verifying reality. Intellectually, what this looks like is I want to encourage you to get your questions about God answered. Get your questions answered. And if there's things about walking with God that are just vague in your mind, seek answers about them. If you have the question, then somebody else probably has that question too. So get the answer, and then you can help dialogue with people, talk with them about the answers that you have found. Pragmatically, what this looks like is you can season your your speech by coming up with short phrases or little quick answers that let people know that, that you're trying to live your life God's way. You know, for me, if, if someone um, is in need of... of provision for something, maybe a house to live in or something like that. I can tell them about the time that, you know, our family had to move out in a month and or in two months and we were looking for a place and the prices had gone up, but God provided for us. He provided a house for us to rent that was $200 under market value and we could afford and God provided for us. And I can say God will provide for you too if you seek him, if you ask him for help. Or if someone is stuck by the decision that they're trying to make and they don't know which way to go, I can tell them a lot of examples where I prayed to God and he made it very clear to me where to go. Start to stockpile stories of of how you're walking with God, you're leaning into him, you're trusting him, and he comes through and sprinkle that into your conversations with people. And then emotionally, what this looks like. People need to feel God for themselves. 
but you can tell them how you felt, God, in different situations. For me, one of those situations that I can tell is the story of, of my daughter, Ellie, going into the neo, neonatal intensive care unit right after she was born. Here's a picture of that. Gina had, had just had a C-section, and Ellie was, she wasn't breathing well, and they were trying to figure out what was going on, and they said, you know what, we're going to have to put her in the, in the NICU for 24 hours. So I hit a point where I'm, I'm, my wife's going this way, my daughter's going this way, and I'm just still in shock at this point of what's going on, and I followed my daughter, <laughs> and we got her all set up there, and then I went around to go find Gina, and on my way back, I just broke down. It, it finally all hit me, what was going on. And I prayed to God, and I said, God, you love me. You love my daughter more than I do. And I, I give her to you. I, I just had to, to release her to God. And in that moment, when I did that, God gave me peace. In a situation where I should not have peace, I felt peace. God gave that to me. God gave me peace in a situation where I didn't know if she was going to live or not. But he gave it to me. Ellie ended up being there for 24 hours, and she was okay just to finish the story. That's not the point of the story, but I'll finish it. But if, if you're not yet a Christian, get your questions answered. God is real, and he loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. You can verify this intellectually, pragmatically, and emotionally. Seek out those answers. And if you're a Christian, pray for those who are sorting around you. Get your own questions answered. When you have a how-can-this-be moment, seek out the answer. Don't just let it drag on for, for a long time. Season your speech with salt and be ready to share with people intellectually, pragmatically, emotionally, who God is and what he's done in your life. As I wrap up the message this morning, I'd like to ask you to take that connection card out again um, that Brad was talking about earlier. And would you consider taking one of these next steps in response to the message this week? One is, uh, a next step is to pick up and read The Case for Faith. Uh, Lee Strobel, we saw his testimony. He's written a, a bunch of books, and we have one of those on the back table um, by the coffee mugs. You can pick that up and, and read it. It's our gift to you as you're, as you're seeking and sorting through questions about what it means to follow God. Another next step is to sort with someone from Church in the Valley. If you check that box, somebody will call you this week from Church in the Valley, and we'll set up a time where you can sit down and talk through questions, dialogue through questions that you have about what it means to walk with God. Another is get around Christians just to see how practically this works, how, how Christianity works. We're going to have groups this fall. Join a group or go to a meetup to get around people, get to know people, or ask someone to go to lunch, whatever it might be. Get involved with other 
Christians to see how this works. Then prepare, if you're already a Christian, prepare to give an answer intellectually, pragmatically, emotionally. Write down your, your stories that you can share with people. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for how you love us and um, how you have uh, saved those who trust in you. You've saved them from their sin and we can live in eternity with you, have a right relationship with you. Please help those of us here that are seeking, help them to, to find you and to to learn how they can verify that you exist intellectually, pragmatically, emotionally. And just help us all to get a real clear picture of what it means to to walk with you so that we can really have our, uh, the best life possible that you want for us here on earth. We pray uh, all these things in your name. Amen.